so what I'd like to share with you today is, uh, as we've described, these studies of uh, imaging using positron emission tomography to image um, these neurofunctional circuits that we've uncovered in, in the islets of Langerham and now sort of uh, through recent work, tracing that circuit to other points in the body, particularly in the gut. So if you want to leave right now, it's all good, but just make sure you remember the next three slides, four slides. Um, so every time I give this talk, I gotta give the boilerplate statement, why do we think that imaging beta cells is so important? And you know what, I hope that you'll appreciate that actually it's true, particularly that this first point, that uh, measurements of insulin secretion, HB1A, they're all good, but they have their shortcomings. And uh, if you believe in the, the PET, which gives a direct measure of beta cell mass, put that in quotes, um, the advantage of PET is that it really doesn't require large study populations. It's very precise. Um, and that's something that may be useful. It may, you all may take advantage of that. Um, so I'm going to talk about sort of these first two points in the beginning of the talk. And then I want to finish, actually, the last two thirds is describing using PET as a way to um, go back to the true origin of PET and use it to image, visualize some novel facets of uh, beta cell biology. Okay, actually, if you want to go now, remember this and then we're all good. So the most important take home message is that, and probably you all know this, some of you, parts of it at least, that beta cells and uh, cells of the CNS share the expression of a lot of genes and uh, use neurotransmitters and the same receptors. And these are the cast of characters that I'm going to talk about today. Uh, these are the ones that we've uncovered so far in our, uh, in our studies. And what we've been doing is trying to tease out the function of each of these elements and how they affect um, glucose-stimulated insulin secretion in vivo and in vitro. So uh, as Rudy mentioned, this is the a central element in, the, in this neurofunctional circuitry of beta cells. Uh, it's a transporter. It resides on vesicles in beta cells. It takes intracellular dopamine packages it, packages it in the same and maybe different vesicles that beta cells have. Uh, beta cells are also gifted, if you want, with the receptor for uh, <coughs> dopamine. In addition, uh, they have a dopamine reuptake transporter. Uh, and that takes uh, 
dopamine from the outside of the cell and moves it into the intracellular space. Plus, they have a complement of enzymes that can take, um, beginning with tyrosine, uh, manufacture dopamine as well as degrade it. All right, so because they have, because they express these neurofunctional markers, we can entirely rip off CNS pet science and brain pet, you know, studies that they've been doing for ages and apply them to uh, the beta cells. And because PET is so precise and has such a large dynamic range of accurate measurements, uh, we can make some very precise quantitative measurements of the, con the concentration and density of these targets in the space of the pancreas. Uh, this was one of our, this was the study that, uh, that Ruby um, referred to, done in collaboration with, with Robin, and uh, here it is. Here is the little pancreas right here, nestled under the liver, in the, in the small bowels, and uh, we can put, using computer, put a region of interest around this structure here, aided, aided with CT, and we can get very accurate measurements of how fast the tracer comes in and how fast the tracer washes out. And that allows us to quantitate the concentration of the target which in this case happens to be DMAP, and the tracer that we used were these things that have TDZ in it. Okay. All right, so I'm also going to talk about uh, how beta cells use dopamine, and we discovered that uh, there's an, an endocrine, sort of autocrine loop where they <laughs> where they make dopamine, use, secrete dopamine, and respond to dopamine. And this is involved in the regulation of glucose-stimulating uh, insulin secretion. And, if that wasn't enough, uh, we've also, well, we postulated that dopamine can act as an anti-ingredient. And we think it has something that is very relevant, this circuit, in uh, bariatric surgery. And I'll try and convince you of that point. All right, so uh, again, as Rudy mentioned, we started off these studies doing, uh, in an islet transplant, transplant program. Uh, we used Affymetrix, old school, old school Affymetrix, to come up with a list of beta cell markers. And that was by comparing the genes expressed in islets with a bunch of non-islet tissue. And the shocking thing, no, shocking then, was that uh, there are a lot of uh, genes expressed in islets that you normally associate with CNS tissue. And of course, when you do affymetrics, you validate it with antibodies. And here you can see that VMAP and insulin <coughs> Uh, are expressed quite closely 
geographically, topographically, as well as uh, insulin and uh, dopamine type 2 receptors. Uh, then in collaboration, all right, so now uh, we started to work this up as a marker for beta cells because we knew we could measure VMAP uh, by PET. Um, we wanted to make sure that uh, the amount of VMAP that we would measure would be faithful to the beta cell, beta cell mass. And this was done by immunohistochemistry. And we see that the VMAP area and the beta cell area track um, quite closely in uh, the different stages of diabetes. And I think I said this before, what we've done really is we've just co-opted everything that, that people use in the brain and applied it to the, the pancreas. Um, here, this slide is to show you that we can also image uh, islet transplants. And uh, here we transplanted islets around a little puck with growth factors here in the abdominal wall. And it lights up very, very nicely with, with this um, tetrabenazine tracer. And this is just the native pancreas in the, in the rat uh, at, a different, at a different plane in the animal. So how do we, uh, I mentioned this before, how do we quantitate uh, with PET, and it's really based upon the kinetics of the tracer um, in the region of interest, which is the pancreas, and we measure the rate that it flows in and that it washes out. And you can see, oops, sorry. So for a controlled individual, you see that it comes in and washes out, and with an individual uh, with type 1 diabetes, the tracer washes out much faster. And those slopes are, are converted into an outcome measure, um, typically binding potential or distribution volume ratio that I'll talk about later. So, shout out to Robin and to Pat. Uh, who, who were really responsible for, for organizing these studies. Um, when we use the DPPC tracer and we study humans with type 1 or type 2 diabetes and healthy controls and we measure uh, the average concentration of VMAP in the pancreas, we get these values. And you can see there's an enormous spread uh, here in healthy controls. You can see even, even better or worse, there's an enormous spread in, in people with long-term type 1 diabetes. And the few people with T2D that we study are sort of luckily here in an intermediate level. Remember, that's the concentration, not the total amount. We're going we're to talk about that next. Actually, the total amount comes from the product of the volume of the pancreas times this binding potential outcome measure. And we've 
taken the same person and tested them twice and delivered a series of individuals. And from that, you uh, get these statistics that are um, that tell you how sensitive the test is and what are the minimal to the uh, minimal detectable change. And so what we came up with is that if you take one person, image them twice, if there's a change in the signal is more than 15%, you have a 95% chance of knowing that's not due to chance and, and uh, inter-operator variability. That translates, that translates, that minimal detectable change translates into a change in BCM of 17%. Either way, increase, decrease. So, that's as far as we've gotten with the imaging. And right now we're waiting to begin a longitudinal study in uh, type 1 patients. The trouble is now we don't have a director of a, of a pet center, so we have to, uh, we have to wait. Is, isn't there any interference with other cells in the island at all? Or, or with neurons going into the island? No, because they're particularly neurons not a lot of VMAP, not a lot of mass of VMAP mass, uh, we, as determined by immunohistochemistry. Now that's, you know, certain low levels of expression, we can't tease out of that. But uh, really, when you, when you put the VMAP stained um, piece of tissue under the microscope, by immunofluorescence, you don't see a lot of neuronal VMAP, it's just, it's not there. Having said that, wait, we're gonna, you're gonna like the next couple of slides here. All right, so I, I said that the thing we really care about is the total amount of VMAP, and that's the product of the pancreas volume times that binding potential. So when you multiply those out in, uh, in this in this study, you get the following distribution of the total VMAT amounts in, in the in the population. And you know, no matter what you do, there's this this spread here in the normal controls. And you go, hey Paul, but these are long-term type one diabetic people. They should have, they should have nothing, right? I'm sorry. But it doesn't look like it's, ner it's nerves, because we can't see it. <coughs> Are we looking for the right thing, though? And because, let me go back, let me go back. Because of this crappy little insignificant background, people haven't really received this work as well as they might, when I tire of telling them it's not the absolute amount that we care about, it's being able to measure changes. Because, what? Look at the spread in the, in the, in the controls, right? You can't set an arbitrary, you can't set a limit, you can't set an amount that says you are normal, you are not normal. We care about changes. And so that's what 
that's what I work every time I go and talk and try and impress upon people. This is about change, it's not about absolute amounts.
like DVDs. We've like looked that. at Zucker and again the immunohistochemistry and the PET track together. Cross-reactivity of what they play. They're interrelated. They're separate but equal. What um, in the reagents in their actions? Yes. But we're gonna. We'll let we can we can get to that later. Okay. All right. So anyway. I wasn't really here to talk about that stuff, except to bring you to this point, which I think is totally cool <coughs> and totally interesting and totally useful to you all. Um, so in this paper, these guys uh, had a model where they would take uh, uh, adult stem cells, differentiate them in in whatever their recipe was, but on top of that, they had, were screening a chemical library. Uh, what fell out? Tetrabenazine. And then they went and they looked, you know, they looked it up and they saw, oh, tetrabenazine binds to DMAP. And they concluded that, um, the part that I like is that they found, they deduced that DMAP was in these beta cell precursors. Oh, oh! What a surprise! We see we see residual VMAP in T1B. Well, maybe we're looking at the uh, these progenitors. And so, as soon as we get the time and the resources, we're gonna. And these aren't very easy studies to do, but we're going to uh, we're trying to work up a pro um, based on PPC that is fluorescent, where we can just take a rat pancreas, a human pancreas, fresh, and uh, just mark it with that and run it through the flow cytometer and see what, see if all the cells that are, are uh, TB's VMAP positive, if they're uh, insulin positive or not. Now, as an aside, and also um, in this light, is people have been measuring beta cell mass with different tracers, like to uh, GLP-1. And you know what? They find the same damn background. They go, they study T1B patients, and their, 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 uh, their signal is not zero in T1B. So all of us are picking up this background where we expected. There's nothing. It's there. So I say use the cup half full or half empty. So we know that actually an answer to the previous questions that there is not necessarily a relationship between mass and function. Because well, we're measuring mass in type one and then we know the function is impaired, yet you have some mass. You are correct. That's that's better well said. Alright, so while we wait and wait for, for the human studies to be done. No patients, no pet center. We needed to do something in the lab because, you know, playing 
Candy Crush just wasn't going to do it. So um, we went back to the lab, we took the rat, and we, well, with the purpose of saying, okay, they have these, these neuro things in them. What, what do these neuro things do in a base cell? How do they affect uh, glucose stimulated insulin secretion? And so uh, the next third, next third of the talk, I'm going to try and explain to you what, what goes on, why they have it, what's it there for, what it does. So uh, we injected this tetrabenzene, which is an inhibitor of VMAP. VMAP takes dopamine, puts it in the vesicles for it later to be uh, released extracellularly upon glucose stimulated uh, secretion. And so when we inject the poor rat with TBC, uh, the first thing we found, and this was, you know, this was just one of those really cool lab moments where you think, oh, this probably can happen, and it does. And so here is the, the vehicle, and when you put TBC in, the glucose excursion is, whoa, look at that. It's very, very flattened. And that effect can be rescued with, uh, by giving concomitant uh, L-dopa. Uh, so a rat is good, I, human islets are maybe better. And so we repeated a lot of these experiments using the pharmacology <coughs> mindset to use these different probes to figure out what, who was doing what and how it affect uh, GSIS. And the take home picture here is that if you inhibit DMAT, you get more insulin. If you inhibit the inhibitor of uh, glucose, of, yeah, of insulin secretion, uh, dopamine, you get even more insulin, dopamine pushes it back down, and that is shown again and again and again. Um, sort of closing up this model, we actually went to human beta cells, put them in a little dish, put in little electrodes, and we found that uh, when you put in glucose, they give you back dopamine, and that's done by uh, electrochemical detection. And so after all those experiments, we came up with sort of this, this model. And here, because we know that beta cells have this transporter for large aromatic amino acids. They have a transporter that can take dopamine and shuttle it to the inside. Uh, they make dopamine, they respond to dopamine by hitting GSIS. Uh, we've come up with this circuit. So our next task was to does this happen in vivo? Is, is this all BS or is this really something? While we were doing that, if you, just for fun, if you read PubMed, you, uh, we made note of the following things. So these are sort of like premises based on literature reports. And you're going to have to put them all together 
and hopefully you'll see what uh, you'll see a possibility that we saw and are now trying to prove. So, uh, some of this is controversial. I don't want to talk about the controversialness of this. Let's just, for the next 20 minutes, take this as fact. This I'll fight with anybody because, boy, I, I've been, I'm watching this as we speak. Um, that if you give a person a mixed meal challenge, you look in their serum, uh, there are there's a spike of dopamine and L-dopa. Also, uh, I'm going to show you this experimentally too. Uh, when people in the long time ago looked at uh, the stomach and upper GI, they saw many of the enzymes needed to produce dopamine and L-dopa from, from its precursor tyrosine. And now, if you uh, pay attention to that geography, that topography, you'll notice that Roux-en-Y surgery bypasses much of the dopamine-producing, L-dopa-producing tissue of the floor gut. All right, and it sends the nutrients stream to Kinda. So, you know, if you remove an inhibitor that travels through the blood, an inhibitor of insulin secretion. Um, maybe that's the basis of this reversal of hyperglycemia. You remove the inhibitor of insulin secretion, more insulin to be made, reversing hyperglycemia that, that uh, we see before weight loss. That's our hypothesis. All right, so, uh, all right, I just said that. This is, shows the reversal of hyperglycemia after UNY, pre-op, three days. Uh, going back to the, to, the, to the test tube, to the Petri dish, uh, when we take human islets and we challenge them with glucose and anchortins and dopamine, they have opposite effects, enhancing insulin secretion, suppressing insulin secretion. Uh, if we look biochemically, uh, everything that everything that JIP and GLP does to an islet, turning, turning it on here for insulin secretion, DA reverses it, okay? As shown by increased and decreased level of this panel of phosphoproteins, um, yeah, more of the same. Let's do that. Uh, panel here on the panel here is uh, you can take that, let's stimulate them with GLP, get X amount of insulin secretion. If you throw L dopa on the islets, uh, it presses it down. And this is just a reiteration of what I said before. Uh, the uh, stomach, this part of the stomach, and the upper intestines are supposed to be the dopamine, L-dopa producing tissue. 
down here, this is more where GLP-1 is, is made. And when you do the bypass, you kind of uh, skip this part, right? And you just focus here. So, um, is that true? Is that not true? Well, I don't know. But um, what we've done is a series of experiments where we give the rats uh, a mixed meal tolerance test. Um, they love Ensure. They just, you don't even have to do the Vaj. They just, it's crazy. It's better to kill them afterwards to get this. But anyway. You take a fasting rat, you take out the intestinal tissue, and you measure the dopamine content of the tissue, and you get a profile like this. Uh, if you let them drink the Ensure, wait 45 minutes, sacrifice them, repeat, do the uh, transmitter profile of the intestinal tissue at 45 minutes, you can see that uh, the stomach and the duodenum Oh my goodness, it fills up with dopamine. And also, L-dopa is pretty similar to this, whereas the, the foregut, not so much. In fact, it seems to lose a little bit. And of course, the pancreas fills up with uh, dopamine and L-dopa. Now. How, how long after you've given the insurer is that? Uh, 45 minutes. So, um, possible therapy thing here. Um, there is a baby format, not just for babies, it's called Tyros 2, and it's, uh, it's everything that Insure is, except uh, it's missing tyrosine and phenylalanine. And if you give that instead of uh, Insure, you don't have those you don't have those spikes of dopamine and L-dopa. So on the basis of this, if you were to do an MPT giving, using Tyros 2 as a stimulus, you should see a very different profile of, uh, of dopamine and L-dopa. And how do they do, okay, how do they do that? So I've already said this, uh, the enterocytes that we, uh, from, from these rats, we've looked at the uh, using immunohistochemistry and uh, staying for tyrosine hydroxylase, which is really the most important one because uh, it takes the first step, tyrosine to L-dopa, um, pylorus, duodenum, clearly there, ileum, jejunum, not so much. It's there, not so much. Uh, so, I, okay, I said this before, there are these spikes of dopamine uh, following MM mixed meal tolerance testing, that's shown right here. Uh, also in humans, and now uh, Judy and I are looking, doing this same experiment in a population of uh, people before and after uh, sleeve gastrectomy. Uh, and and ruin my gastric bypass. And one more thing just escapes me now. I forgot. Thank you. Thank you. 
is supposed to be about molecular imaging, right? So uh, let's finish this up. And I'm going to tell you the sort of most recent experiments that we've done to shore up the, uh, the pillars of supporting this hypothesis. Uh, all right, we said we thought that L-tyrosine, L-dopa, uh, they might be endocrine communicators arising in the gut. They're incorporated by uh, the beta cell turned into dopamine and used to fine-tune insulin secretion via this mechanism. So, this is the key step, well, one of the key steps. Um, remember, I, I'm sort of a copycat of all the brain imaging stuff. So, there is this technique uh, where you can image a tissue, where you can image the brain, and you can measure um, the production, the release of uh, dopamine. And that's done by virtue of the dopamine competing with uh, this tracer, phallopride, rapopride, uh, that binds to the D2R receptor, D2R. And so what you do is you sort of label the brain first with phallopride, and then you give a challenge of some substance uh, that increases extracellular dopamine. In the brain, you all know that this is amphetamine, cocaine. Uh, in the pancreas, it happens to be glucose, right? Uh, all right, so what the experiments look like is they label, they label the brain, and then they get amphetamine, and the tracer starts to wash out faster. This is without, this is with, with, without. Okay. Can we do that in the pancreas? The answer is yes. Uh, so this is just a slide showing you that we can image the pancreas with this other tracer, this one binding to D2R. Um, and yeah, there's the pancreas right there. And you know, it's cool. Look, it doesn't, here's part, this is like the head of the pancreas. It's not lighting up that part. What's going on there? I don't know. And here is our, our subject, because we use these guys now. And so, like I said, you can label the pancreas in vivo uh, with this pet tracer that binds to D2R, and if you go give glucose, it makes the tracer wash out faster, and presumably, or accepted by experts in the field, uh, it's a reflection of the release of endogenous uh, dopamine, competing with the tracer for binding to the to the receptor. So. Again, if you want to leave now, just remember the three points of the summary. Uh, beta cells equal neurons. In fact, maybe the brain is just a pancreas. Uh, the rest of your gut has borrowed stuff from, uh, from the CNS and used it to uh, probably regulate blood glucose. 
And I didn't talk about this, but beta cell masses also in here. Leave that for next time. Um, and then lastly, uh, you know, we can use CNS molecular imaging techniques and we can use them on the pancreas because of these molecules that they express. And that's it for me. I leave you with the next time you, next time you eat turkey and potatoes. I finished this and right there, it's nice to get colors in the background and I look at this. You know, turkey, we all know, has a lot of tyrosine in it and makes you sleepy. And yams, on the other hand, mostly sugar and starch. And I was trying to, you know, I don't know, who eats their food together, like a mixing of yams and turkey? I was wondering, maybe there's a better way you should eat the turkey first? <laughs> no, I don't think so, but that's going to inhibit your insulin secretion. So you should definitely not eat the turkey. You should eat the yams first and follow it with the turkey. And I don't know about the squash. I don't really like squash. <laughs> All right. Let's just um, credit where credit is due. Um, I like to... Oh, you're not on here, and, and, and you gave us a nice introduction. I'll show you. This has been my friend uh, in in the pet center, and who, who taught me everything I needed to know and much more than I cared to know about pet. Um, and these are the nice people here at Naomi Berry um, who helped with the clinical studies. Um, <clears throat> These are people that have helped with the imaging of the pigs. I mentioned Judy. Uh, all of this was done with the help of Piotr, who used to work here, who now is a island transplant surgeon, and also this program. Uh, these are my, we, we had Adolfo here recently, so maybe you remember him. Um, these are residents and postdocs that have helped. These are the grant support. And I need to, here, right here, right here. This is, um, that's my wife, my collaborator, my lab partner. Uh, none of this would have been, could have been done without her. So thank you. All right, over here. Is the um, transporter antagonist toxic? Could with you with the TPC? Yeah. Uh, it's used, uh, this just, it's used to treat uh, Tourette's. So, oh, did you ever do a study uh, MTT in a Tourette's patient? Uh, no. I wanted to, but it, it was just couldn't get it going here. So, D2 agonists have been used for decades, and and there's actually one approved to treat type 2 diabetes. Right. So you must have thought of this a lot. So tell me what your, how does that relate to your findings of how uh, dopamine agonists affect insulin secretion? So we're, ta we're talking about carbocryptin. Carb uh, is, is actually approved to treat type 2 diabetes. And I'm not aware that there's a lot of data showing that uh, dopamine agonists 
adversely affect influence accretion. I think one might expect that if uh, I can show you. Right, it's going to be dose. A lot of a lot of things have to do with dose. Um, Judy, you can maybe rescue rescue me here. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe later. Um, um, unless it's working through more through insulin uh, sensitivity as opposed to secretion, that's maybe the dopamine. Right, but I mean it should inhibit its right. secretion, and and right. I and I think the data is. I haven't looked at this in a long time, so somebody here has yeah. looked at it more recently, but I don't think it has a big effect on insulin secretion. I thought its usefulness was by letting the, you know, I read that and I got, oh, oh, it's giving the beta cells a rest. And more thought than that, I didn't really give it, to be honest with you. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe that's why they don't work as well as we would hope they work. Could you know, be. It's improving insulin sensitivity, but at the same time, decreasing insulin secretion. Yeah. How about the effect on all the people who take L-dopa, Parkinson patients? This is this is this is clear. This is a yes. It it follows the paradigm here. People who are missing that that first enzyme, a uh, aromatic amino acid deoxidase, those people have. upset metabolism and it manifests no dopamine, they're hypoglycemic, as you would expect. So there are um, inborn errors of metabolism um, and mutations in humans, none of which I have found so far that do not support this, this survey. Please. Serotonin. Yeah. Well, you know what? Serotonin is probably the other half of the story. But I'd like to say this about that. Certainly serotonin inhibits insulin secretion. But when you look in, uh, in the serum excursions, it's, it's not there. Okay, so I get, I get preferred blood. Judy and I have a machine that measures nine, nine neurotransmitters and their catabolites and I don't see uh, these peaks like I see of dopamine, uh, l and their catabolites as I do, yeah, from serotonin, don't see it. So, yes, no, I don't know how to answer your question. What about trying to manipulate DMAT2 using sort of genetic techniques taken out in the beta cells, for example, either congenitally or acutely, and testing this hypothesis that way? So I think we have uh, Zach. Zach. Zach is trying to, to, to do that in Mises, right? In, in what? In mice? In mice, yes. <laughs> How are you trying to do that? Uh, using a, a beta cell selective tree. Yeah. That's, that's inducible. And so you, you, you can have both temporal and spatial control, especially if you flocks whatever proteins you're, you're interested in. Yeah. Like this 
thus actively and, and shouldn't you be adding TBC to your cocktail to make to make beta salts from first No? Whatever. <laughs> and even beta cells and stem cells? Yeah, we, we plan to do that. Okay. All right, thank you very much.